It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Oh Lord, you want to say something to our hearts tonight. And we want to hear. So I ask now, mighty, mighty Lord and Savior, send your spirit to quicken our hearts. Lord, take away the calluses. And let us hear. And we will turn to you that you might heal us. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Only a single seed. Only a single seed. In John 12, we find that there were some Greeks who came to see Jesus. This opened for Jesus a whole new field of ministry. He had ministered to his people, and now it was obvious that the world was asking for him. And he said no. He said no. He was not interested in being a single seed. He wanted to bear much fruit. The way of bearing fruit was for the seed to fall into the ground and die. And he begins this in John 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, if he had stopped right there, we all would have said it was for Jesus to die. And we're so grateful that Jesus died for us. That we could live. But he didn't stop there. Without missing a beat, he continues, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. Does that include on the ground, buried? Yes. The call is a call to die. It's very hard for us to begin to understand this. Because everything we've been taught says, live. In fact, use the Bible to further your successful life. Use the principles to achieve your goals. I heard one pastor referring to this concept saying, 
that everything that happens, God will work it out for your good. So don't be troubled by adversity because God wants you to be a success. So take the adversity, stand up tall, have a positive attitude and go for it because God wants to bless you. Well, that's such a lie and such truth. It's twisted together. God does want to bless us. God does love us. God is giving all of the heaven for us. But he's also asking us to join him in the grave. So I began to wonder, where else in Scripture does he say this? And immediately texts began to come to mind. And I'd like to read just a few of them for you, just so that you'll know that each of the writers of, of the Gospels believed the same thing. It's one thing when we take one little piece of Scripture and we build a whole theology around that. But when we go to the scriptures and time after time, the same thing is said, we begin to understand that this is a central key point to the Gospels. And so let's just look at a few of these. Let's begin in Matthew, the 10th chapter. Matthew, the 10th chapter. These are not all of the scriptures. Matthew 10, I'll begin with verse 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Or again, Matthew 16. Verse 24, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some are standing here. Will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then comes the transfiguration where they see Jesus in his kingdom. If you go to Mark, 
the eighth chapter, you find almost a verbatim quote as we have just read it. Verse 34, Mark 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. You notice this time, it's not just the select disciples he's speaking to. He's now speaking to the whole crowd. So if you thought you were being let out because you're not an apostle, you're now included. If anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Then you go to Mark. I'm sorry. Then you go to Luke, the ninth chapter. Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 23. Almost again, a verbatim quote, as I have just shared. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Then look at Luke, the 14th chapter. Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
But then again, Luke, the 13th chapter, verse 24. Make every effort. 13, Luke 13, verse 24. Make every effort. That is agonize. Agonize. To enter through the narrow gate or through the groaning gate. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer. I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught us in our streets. But we will. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourself thrown out. People will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. Or look at Matthew. Matthew, the seventh chapter. You recognize this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, or again, the suffering gate. Enter through the groaning gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small or groaning is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I'm sure you knew that all of those passages were there. But somehow when you read them all one right after another. They begin to impact our hearts and our minds and say, this is not just a stray teaching in the word of God. This is the very heart of the word of God. If you want to follow Jesus, the word is you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And of course, then I began to say to the Lord, Lord, what do you mean by deny myself? What am I supposed to deny? And the traditional answer of the mystics in the Christian church has been, you must deny yourself all comfort. That if you'll begin to make yourself uncomfortable, then you'll be holy. And so they withdrew from the community at large because they didn't want to mix with the world. And they confined themselves as monks. And lived a very austere life. One meal a day. A hard bed. Cold. No creature comforts. They thought they were denying themselves. Is that what the Lord means when he says deny yourself? Does he mean we should get a lash and begin to whip ourselves on our back? Does he mean we should punish ourselves? 
Is that what he's saying when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? I don't think so. You can treat the body very harshly. And sin still springs from your heart. I mean, you can set up such a regime that you will be severely punished every day. You can sleep on the floor. God doesn't want me to lay on a mattress because I'm too comfortable. I'm going to sleep on the floor. Will that denial of yourself bring holiness into your life? No, it will not. So what does he mean? Deny yourself. What are we to deny ourselves of? As I was praying about that, the Lord sent me right back to the beginning of time. Right back to the beginning. Her name was Eve. Her name was Eve. She was the mother of all things. She is my mama. I am her child. And what happened is one day she was walking in the garden. And she walked by a tree. And there was a serpent in the tree. And this serpent was beautiful. And the serpent began to speak to her heart. Let's look at it together in Genesis, the third chapter. He asked her a question. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Obviously, God is unfair. God is withholding something wonderful from you. He is not a God who loves you. He's a God who wants to punish you. Have any of you been caught in that lie? Okay, if God wants to punish me, I'll punish me real well. I'll deny myself. Boy, I can make my life tough. And maybe, maybe then God will love me. Now, that was the devil's question. Did God really say you can't eat any of, any of this food? No. You're not allowed to eat anything. Did you know that? You're supposed to deny yourself of every tree. And she said, no, wait a minute. That's not what God said. Verse 2. Genesis 3, verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. In other words, there's one tree in the garden, hundreds of trees. There's just one tree you can't eat of. So the devil comes saying, Look, beat yourself up and you can get holy. Be tough on yourself and you can get holy. 
And she said, no, wait a minute. I can eat of all the trees. Except one. One tree I can't eat of. Watch. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it. Or you will die. See, God didn't just say, don't eat of this tree. He said, don't play with this tree. Don't play hide and go seek around it. Don't touch it. Don't pick its leaves. It's poison. Any of you get poison ivy? You want to pick the leaves because they're pretty. You don't have to eat the poison ivy to get it. Just touch it. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Oh, now we're getting at what God wanted us to deny ourselves of. He wanted us to deny ourselves of making the decision about what was right or wrong. He wanted to make the decision about what was right or wrong. Oh, I can do this. It's not going to really hurt me. No, God said, don't touch that tree. But it gets even a little more tense. Watch. Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Hey, all the garden trees were good for food. And pleasing to the eye. All of the trees were pleasing to the eye. Desirable for gaining wisdom. That was the issue. She took some and ate it. She gave it to her husband who was with her. He ate it. <clears throat> and the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You recognize the tree. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what is this we're to deny ourselves of? You see, the scriptures do not teach that if you want to follow Jesus, you must come to the altar and say, yes, I accept what Jesus has done for me. That's the modern church. The scriptures don't teach that. The scriptures teach the first step toward following Jesus is to deny myself. What do I deny myself of? I deny myself of being able to make the decision about what is right or wrong. 
if I don't deny myself of the decision to be godlike, I cannot accept what Jesus Christ has done for me. Because my pride will rise up and I'll say, I'm somebody. I don't need somebody telling me that I'm a sinner. I don't want to repent. I want to make decisions in my own life for myself. Thank you very much. Jesus, if you're willing to give me a gift, I'll take the gift and add it to my already rich life. But if you expect me, Jesus, to give up the right of self-determination, forget it. And I have seen people walk away from the cross of Jesus Christ because they were unwilling to deny themselves of being God. See, this is the denial that has to happen before I'm willing to take a cross. What would you think tomorrow when you wake up? Your eyes pop open and there in the corner up to the roof is a cross. And you have to pick that cross up and take it to the bus. You have to pick that cross up and take it into the job and lean it against your desk or lean it against your truck. And everywhere you go, you have to carry this cross. And people are going to point and say, look at that. Look at that man carrying that cross. Look at, look at that boy. He's going to the school bus and he's carrying a cross. Do you know what would happen in the city of Washington, D.C. if all of us actually got a physical cross and began to carry it with us, dragging it everywhere we went? We would soon be on the front page of the Washington Post. But that's exactly what we're asked to do. You see, the first step in coming to Jesus is to deny ourselves of the right to make the decision about what is right or wrong. That decision belongs to the God of heaven. He is the one who determines what is right and wrong. And as I allow him to make that decision, I'm then willing to take my cross. Why am I taking the cross? Because when I pick up the cross, I'm saying I will die to being God. You see, we thought they had it rough in the old covenant where they had to bring this smelly lamb and offer it and get blood. Well, now it's not a smelly lamb. It's you and me who's smelly. And it's us who has to die. The old covenant had it easy. They could cut the lamb's neck and say the blood covers us. Today it's our neck that has to be cut. So I, I look at my life and I say, Lord, will you show me what you want me to do? I deny myself. I'm not going to be God. I'm going to wait on you. 
I'm not going to go in debt because then I'm abiding in the bank. I'm not going to look for approval from my family because then I'm abiding in my family. I'm not going to look for my success in business to give me standing because then I'm abiding in my business. And the word said, what's a man's soul worth? You're going to sell your soul? What's your soul worth? How much money can I give you for your soul tonight? No, I deny myself. I say, God, I'm not going to make the decision. I need you to make the decision. God, I need you to make it quick. God, I've got this deal. It's going to fall through if I don't do something. God, you've got to come now. I need you now. And God doesn't show up. And we say, well, if God's not going to be God, I guess I better be God. So just this once, I'll go ahead and make the decision. And God, will you show up later? No. No, God's not going to show up later. He's already turned his back. You see, there's only one way into the kingdom of heaven. And it's a way we have to walk every single day. And that is to deny ourselves the ability, supposed ability, to be God. And then take our cross so that we're constantly reminded God is God. I'm his servant. And I'm to die. And then... You know what it says next? Follow him. You see, we want to follow him before we've denied ourselves. We want to follow him with our cross back in cold storage. Somebody said to me, Oh, that person is struggling. They're having such a hard time because they have such low self-esteem. I quickly, without even thinking, said, no, the problem is not low self-esteem. It's high self-esteem. They've got to take their cross and die. See, everything we're accustomed to is, is to pet us. Everything is to... Encourage us. Everything is to give us confidence. I want to tell you what the Lord's been saying to me about the National Prayer Chapel. Very quietly been coming to my heart. And he's been saying. When I break out with Holy Spirit power you will know you had nothing to do with it. You will have nothing to do with it. And then he began asking me questions. What did you have with finding Jan? Nothing, Lord. What did you have 
to cause Jan's heart to turn toward you and love you? Nothing, Lord. And he took me through a whole series of questions, embarrassing questions. Because at each question I had to answer, Lord, I had nothing to do with that. You did that. That wasn't me, it was you. When God moves at the National Prayer Chapel, it will be because God in his sovereign grace chose to move. Now I'll be in my prayer closet and I'll intercede and I'll cry aloud. But all I can do is ask and remain in that place of abiding in my box. Stay right where he told me to stay and just wait on him right there in that place. Oh, but wait a minute. What if I'm uncomfortable in that place? Or what if I'm comfortable in that place? That's really not the issue. The issue isn't, do I like my situation or do I not like my situation? Paul said, I've learned to be content when I have much, and I've learned to be content when I have nothing. A sure sign that you are trying to be God is when adverse circumstances cause you to be discouraged and with wonderful circumstances cause you to be happy. When it's going your way and you're un and you're happy, or when you're when it's not going your way and you're unhappy, either one is a sign that you're being God. Because see, our life is not to be controlled by our circumstances. My joy is the joy of the Lord. And my joy comes out of the cross of Jesus Christ. My joy comes out of my confidence in who Jesus is. My joy comes out of what he's promised. My joy comes out of my oneness with Jesus Christ, not out of the fact that I have a comfortable bed to sleep on and have the food I like to eat. Or that I have a hard bed to sleep on. And I don't like the food I have to eat. Neither of those are to touch me. Because I'm called to deny myself. And to say, Jesus, when it's much, I give it to you. And when it's little, I give it to you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, you see, if you're caught in believing that it has to be hard to be holy. Then when the Lord brings you a blessing. You won't be able to receive it. When the Lord brings you discipline. You'll reject it. 
Because you're saying, I know how to be God, and I know how to best punish me. And I know how to please me. Tonight, I want you to hear, we're called to die, to be buried. And that dying is what Eve learned. To deny myself the right to be God. And to turn to him and trust him to be God. Now there's another part of this scripture in John the 12th chapter that I want us to look at. I tell you the truth in verse 24, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. The place of abiding that we've been speaking about is that place where the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. The place of abiding is where we are called to die. That's what binds the strong man. As we step into that place of abiding, as we step into that obedience to Jesus, and we deny ourselves the right to be God, and we say we will trust you to be God, and if you say this is what needs to happen, then I will abide in that. I will rest in that. I will remain in that. I will stay right there. I will wait upon you. I won't go. Practice being God. Even if it costs me money. Most especially if it costs me money. Or time. Or energy. Or favor. Or petting. Or sentiment. I will wait on you, God, because you are God. I will wait upon you, God. That's that place of abiding. It says that if we die, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. In other words, as we step into that place of abiding, there is a great harvest that comes out of that place of abiding. And there's a scripture I'd like you to look at with me because it says this so clearly. Psalm 126. Psalm 126. I'll begin with verse 5. I have this dated, circled, underlined, in red and yellow and green. Those who sow tears, those who sow in tears, will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, 
will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. In other words, look, let's, let's just say it straight. There are places of abiding that I am called to that make me weep. I simply don't want to do it. My life is already too full. I don't have time to do what God's asking me to do. I've got other responsibilities that get in the way of doing what God has asked me to do. This precious mother of two children and four that are not hers that she's taken in. said to me, how can I spend three hours a day reading the scriptures? My life is too full. I can't afford the time. I said, what is God asking you to let go of? She said, I feel like I've already let go of everything I like. I said, has God called you to three hours of scripture a day and three hours of prayer? She said, yes. Because when I do it, he meets me. And when I don't, he doesn't meet me. I said, then you're going to have to get up at 3.30, aren't you? She said, how can I get up at 3.30 when I go to bed at 11? I said, your children go to bed at 11? Oh, no. What time do the kids go to bed? I try to get them in bed by eight. I said, what do you do after eight o'clock? Everything I haven't done all the rest of the day. Four kids plus two her own. Six kids. What's the scripture say? If I don't love God more than my children. And she began to cry. Look, these are very difficult issues. It, it's maybe easier for us who, who are guys. We can go about our business and expect the wives to cook the food and clean the house and take care of the kids. I mean, we get to go off to work, right? 
I can't answer this question. All I know is that Jesus is not going to be turned aside. There are things that the Lord has asked me to do that just caused me to weep. It's stolen away my time. My time. And he said to me, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Jesus, I'll do that as long as I can. Now, that's not what the word says. Now, I'm not trying to tell you tonight that you have to spend three hours a day in scripture. Please understand me. This mother was told three hours a day by the Holy Spirit. For her, it's three hours. For you, it might be four hours. Or two hours or one hour. Certainly it will not be less than one hour. Jesus said, could you not even wait for me one hour? Could you not even tarry one hour? You see, it's just real simple to talk about dying as long as it's out there. But when it's where I live, it's painful. And there are places of abiding where I simply weep before God. Because it so cuts across everything my heart desires. He says, those who sow in tears, those tears are my tears from being in that place of abiding that he's asked me to be in. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. In other words, there is a reward for stepping in to the humble obedience and allowing God to be God. There is a reward that comes And that reward is seen as I go out weeping in obedience to God, carrying the seed to sow. I will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with me. Where are your sheaves tonight? Where is your flock tonight? Where are those you're discipling in Jesus Christ tonight? Have you no sheaves? Then it's because you have not gone out in tears. Sowing your seed. The National Prayer Chapel is called. To go out in tears. That we might reap with joy. But it means we're going to have to deny ourselves the right to be God. Oh, how many times I've preached a word like this and then someone has said, but I think. 
but I think. You know what? I don't care what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what Jesus thinks. It doesn't matter what you want. It it only matters what Jesus wants. It doesn't matter if your feelings are hurt. It only matters if Jesus' feelings are hurt. And the call tonight on our lives is to stop the rebellion against God. To stop trying to replace him with our own hearts and our own powers. To let God be God. To let him rule over our lives, over our families. To step into that place of obedience that he's called us to. Some of you came into this house tonight with attitudes that are against God. Came with rebellion in your heart. You came with anger in your heart. The Lord is saying, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Take those tears. And the seed that the Lord has given you. And you'll come back with sheaves. Enjoy. Let's pray. Lord, there's a great harvest in Washington, D.C. And Lord God, this harvest is not going to be brought in unless we are willing to go out in tears. And so in tears. Lord, I ask you to protect this congregation from all self-punishment. I ask you to protect our hearts from all condemnation. I ask you to protect us from legalism. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak clearly to each of our hearts and tell us where that place of abiding is that you're calling us into, that we might be covered by your blood. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ.
you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. 